This morning, I want to talk to you just a little bit about a guy named Moses. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt inadequate as a human being. Anybody? Never? Never felt insecure or inadequate or perhaps at times even, uh, depending on your relationship with God or your familiarity with the things of God, uh, perhaps even God has asked you to do something that you were like, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't really have much interest in that, and so I, uh, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, and uh, you, know, you stay there, and I'll stay here, and, and as long as we do that, this relationship's going to work out great, right? Uh, you know, Moses is one of those guys in the Bible that I love his story because so much of his story I can relate to. He was called to be a leader. He was called to do some really hard things. And in the middle of all of that, he struggled to try and figure out what God, uh, or just really how to lean into what God had for him. You know, and the thing that I know about Moses and the thing that I know about you and the thing that I know about me is that I actually am inadequate. Like I just am. I, 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 the things that God has for me require me to lean into him. They require me to, to ask him to help me. Like when I get to the end of myself, faith is supposed to pick up the baton and I'm supposed to believe in a God who is more than able to do something in a situation or a circumstance or even in me that wasn't even possible. And so I don't know if you know the story of Moses, but Moses is one of those guys that had kind of a, a difficult past. I think sometimes in the Bible we just assume that everybody in the Bible were just, they were always just good people. The truth is that's, it, that isn't true at all. Is that most of the time in the Bible, I'd say all of the time in the Bible, God is using incomplete, broken, inadequate people to accomplish his vision and his mission in this world. And so Moses is no different. I mean, Moses was a stutterer. He, 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 he was a biological son of a slave. He was a murderer. Don't even know if you knew that. And he was a runaway adopted prince with a price on his head. And that was his story. That's kind of what he brought to the table. And God somehow decided to meet him and say, hey, you know, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know the things you've done. Matter of fact, I even know the places that you feel inadequate. And God shows up in this burning bush experience. So like Moses is walking around one day and he, all of a sudden he stumbles upon this bush. And the bush is on fire, but the bush is not being consumed by the fire. I don't know about you, but if you saw that, you would be like, that's interesting. <laughs> you might move towards it. You might be like, what is that about? And so, so God shows up and he begins to speak to Moses in that. And you know what's interesting? Is you would think that this experience, this miracle experience, something that is uncommon, doesn't happen every day, would somehow lead to him having greater courage, greater boldness for the things of God, to serve God in that way. And yet, it doesn't. Matter of fact, I'll share, the, uh, I'll share just the dialogue between God and Moses that helps you see uh, where it kind of took Moses. Listen to this. This is in Exodus chapter 3, 9 through 14. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. This is God speaking. And I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so God is interested because his people are being oppressed and he wants to do something about it. 
In verse 10 it says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That may be a question you would ask in that moment. Who am I to, to, to do something like that? And he says to him, God says, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that, that I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He says, so, so if there's going to be something on the other end of this, you're going to see it. I promise. God does that sometimes. It's like we have to walk into the reality that's in front of us before we see what's going to happen. A lot of times we want what's going to happen before we walk into it. And so Moses says to God, suppose I go. I mean, just in case you want to know. I mean, in case I go, in case I agree to this, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thank you, Lord, for clearing that up. <laughs> this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, Moses doesn't just all of a sudden jump up with boldness and courage. Matter of fact, he, he continues to whine. He continues to kind of say, you know, suppose, uh, God, what do you think about this one? And uh, he didn't even really want to go to where God was sending him to go. He, he didn't want to leave his comfort zone. He didn't want to leave the thing that was most comfortable to him. And so just a few verses later in, in chapter 4, verse 1 of Exodus, listen to this. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? <laughs> listen to that. I love the what if, don't you? How many times have you played the what if game with God? What if this? What if that? What if this? And though that somehow is, is working your way out of maybe being obedient to what God has already told you to do. Some of us in this room today have heard clearly from God on something and we have failed to act and we continue to fail to act because we're afraid. And God is sitting there patiently saying, hey, at some point, when are you going to get up? When are you going to lean into the fact that I'm the God of all things? And believe me, when I say do something, I can help you with that. So he plays the what if game with God. He said, the Lord, what if they just say to me, the Lord didn't appear to you, which that seems logical. Then the Lord said to him, watch this. What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. I like that. I, I love the question that God asks Moses. He just says, what's in your hand? What do you have in your hand, Moses? Think about that. Think about that in your own life. What is it that you have? What is it that you actually have that you are holding on to, that you are unwilling at this point to throw on the ground? Because the thing I've learned is, is that I may have something, but if I don't release that something, God is not going to step into the situation. We want God to step in before we release. See, you have to be able to use it. You have to use it to activate it. 
And so often in our lives, we want to hang on to the things we have, whether it's our gifts, our talents, our treasures, our money, whatever it is, we want to hold on to it and we want God to act. And God says, look, what's in your hand? All you got to do is throw it on the ground. Because the moment you throw it on the ground, the miracle happens. And so you, you maybe even know the story. So Moses throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. It begins to slither around. It's this miracle. I mean, have you ever seen a, that happen? I haven't. I mean, that's pretty cool. Throws the staff down, turns into a snake. God didn't view, God did not review Moses' resume before he decided to use him. He wasn't looking at his situation. He wasn't looking at his credentials. He wasn't looking at his family history or his finances or his socioeconomic standing or his qualifications. God wanted to use Moses. And when God decides to use somebody, that's what he does. And all he needs you to do is take what's in your hand and throw it on the ground or give it to him to activate the miracle that God wants to do. I mean, I, I just think that's powerful. Because you know what he needed? All he needed was obedience. That's it. He just needed obedience from Moses. Faith to say, okay, God, I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to take what you've given me and I'm going to use it. And when I do, I believe in faith that you're going to activate it. I like that. I like the fact that God is that kind of God. And God wouldn't rest. He wasn't resting. He kept coming at him. Because he was going to bring Pharaoh to his knees with a stick. I like that. But somehow he takes this stick and he begins to do these miracles and these miracle after miracle. And he begins to bring this prideful leader to his knees. And Moses' authority is established and God's power is visited on Egypt. It's just a beautiful story of God showing up in space and time and doing something miraculous. And the thing that I love about the Bible the thing that I love about God is that he isn't in the business of just doing things in the past. But he's interested in doing things now. He's interested in doing that in your life and in my life. He just simply asks, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What is it that, that God wants to use that you're not letting go of? What is it you're afraid of? What is it that's holding you back? What situation happened in your life? What's been spoken over your life that's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do? The thing that I know is that every person in here has something in their hand. We say this around here at Elevation that everybody's a 10 somewhere. Everybody's a 10 somewhere. I don't know what your 10 is, but God does. And he simply says, what's in your hand? Will you, will you give it to me? Will you activate your faith? Will you begin to, to just reach out and be obedient? See, surely this, surely this situation with the stick and the, and the snake and the miracles that Moses experienced, I mean, surely that was the thing that was going to give Moses courage and confidence to obey. Nope. Didn't work out. He wasn't confident. He didn't want to do it. He still kept going in that. Listen, I'll, I'll show you. Exodus 4, 10 through 14. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant. I like that. I like it. He's being, he's being like, you know, honoring of God, but he has some questions. So he says, pardon your servant, Lord. I, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech and tongue. 
That's the stutter part. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? I like, the, I like it when the Lord just kind of goes at you good and strong. He says, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or who makes them blind? Is it not the Lord? Now go. Now go. I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant. <laughs> pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He finally just got tired of it. He got tired of Moses and his worm kind of thinking. We don't need to have worm kind of thinking when we have the creator of all things on our side. And so Moses responds just kind of like we do sometimes. So we hear all the reasons from God, we read it in the Bible, we see the promises and we still say no. And so we begin to make excuses and Moses made lots of excuses. He couldn't seem to step into the obedience that God wanted. But you know what? He eventually became convinced. That's the good news of the story. Because wouldn't that have been a stinky story? If there's Moses like, no, I'm, I'm out. See you later, God. And his people remained in prison and slavery for the rest of their days. God has a way. He's, he's so patient with us. He knows how you feel. He knows how you feel inadequate in various places. He knows all that. He's not surprised by your answer. He's not at all. And what I love about our God is that he keeps pressing. He keeps coming at us. Even when we say no, even when we're disobedient, he keeps coming. That's what I love about God. And that's what he did with Moses. And finally, Moses surrenders and he obeys. And as a result, God uses him successfully to lead his people out of Egypt. He gets to experience the parting of the Red Sea and the manna from heaven and, and sustaining the Israelites through 40 years in the wilderness. He gets to be a part of that, which is pretty special if you ask me. And so see, God, God didn't need great courage and skill from Moses. He could have saved Israel with a stick, but he chose, get this, he chose to use Moses and a stick. You see that? He decided to partner with Moses. Do you not think God could have just walked down there into Egypt and handled his business? He simply came and he said, Moses, will you partner with me? Maybe he's saying that to each one of you. Will you partner with me? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Would you, would you give me what's in your hand? And watch me do the miraculous. I love that God calls me into his story. I love that he wants to use me. And he wants to use what I have for his glory and his kingdom. And all that he requires, all that he requires is my obedience and my availability. That's it. Are you available and are you obedient or are you making excuses? Because see, excuses are never going to get you where you want to go. And I feel like our generation just seems to be more and more common to make excuses, to blame people. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. And that may be true. But the thing that I know about your faith, your relationship with God, your spirituality, is it's yours. 
It's yours. You get to choose. You get to choose what you do with it. You get to choose to decide what's in your hand. Or you can sit there and say, I'm not clever enough. I'm not adequate enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wealthy enough. But God says, what's in your hand? What have I given you that you haven't put out there for me to use? And so excuses are never going to lead us to obedience in God. It's just not going to do it. And we're never going to be able to make the difference in the world that we want to make if we continue to make excuses. We have to step out in faith. If we ultimately want to see people saved, set free, delivered, if we ultimately want to see miracles happen, we have to be willing to offer what's in our hand to the Lord to watch him do something miraculous and see the kingdom of God built. Man, it's a beautiful idea, isn't it? It's fun to think about that God could use me. And so I'm, I'm really excited to invite uh, a friend of ours to the stage so that she can share a little bit about an opportunity that I think many of us, if not all of us, have something in our hand that we can offer to watch God do something great. So would you welcome Janice Watkins? So Janice, how are you? I'm fine. A good. cold, but I'm fine. <laughs> good. Um, will you, would you mind just telling people a little bit about your story, kind of where, you, where you've been, how you ended up where you are, and even how you end up here, I guess. Okay. Does that work? That's easy. Um, so I'm originally from St. Louis, so I'm a St. Louis native, and um, I worked at WashU for 20-something years in cancer research there. Loved my job, but in 2005, I went on a mission trip. And so all of y'all that have gone on a mission trip, just look out, because it, it really could change your life. <laughs> so, so I went on a mission trip to El Salvador. That's how it worked out. And um, I came back from that trip, and I had the mission bug, you know, so I wanted to start going on missions trips, which I did, but I kept going back to El Salvador. I kept getting called back to El Salvador. And after about a year and a half, I knew what the Lord was saying to me uh, to go to El Salvador. And unlike Moses, I didn't say, who am I? I said, Lord, are you crazy? Because, I mean, you know, I was, I was in my 40s. And so um, I had a life here. I loved my life. I was settled. I was active in church, all of these things. But I knew what the Lord was saying. And so finally in 2008, I sold it all and packed up and moved to El Salvador. And I've been there ever since and uh, wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Wouldn't actually change the thing. And so he's done some amazing things uh, in El Salvador. And um, uh, how I came to Elevation, I think that's kind of a twisted tale to how I got yeah. to Elevation. But someone from, I think, Joyce Meyer Ministry came on a trip to El Salvador with Joyce Meyer and with Hand of Hope. Yeah. And so she was a member of this church. And so she brought a team down. Okay. Is, how, is how that happened so from this church about three years ago, I think now. And so um, several of you in this room were on that trip. And so from, cool. from that, do you guys have just continued to come back, including yourself? And, yeah. and here we are today. Yeah, it's just fascinating how God uses those kinds of things. I mean, three years ago, think about that. Like a seed was planted yep. that over time God developed into something that could be what we're about to talk about in just a moment. Uh, so God's just always doing that. Well, recently I was reading this, um, I was reviewing a book that I had read uh, called The Hole in Your Gospel. Okay. It was written by a guy named Howard Snyder. Uh, he runs World Vision, if I remember, if that's his right name. But anyway, he runs World Vision. He's president of the World Vision USA. And um, he talked about how when our faith is really only about getting saved, so to speak, 
only about salvation. Uh, and it's not about participating in building the kingdom of God, you know, in, in ways that are very tangible too. Uh, he, he says that we have a hole in our gospel. In other words, that our gospel is incomplete. And so I just wondered what your thoughts were on that, like just kind of to speak a little bit about that. I agree with that, that, that you, I mean, we have to have faith to be saved. Yeah. We know that we have to have faith to be saved. But then I think if we keep our faith to ourselves, that's being a little selfish. Yeah. Because our job is the great commission to go out and to lead others to Christ. That's what the Bible tells us to do. So, so if you do have a hole in your heart, if you're not sharing Jesus Christ with others, and, and I think we may think that we're holy, but we really have a hole. Yeah. <laughs> different and so, hole. And it's a different level. It's yeah. a different holy. So I think we do have to, be, to be complete, we do have to share what, what Jesus has given to us, which is salvation. Yeah. And that whole book, if you've ever read it, I encourage you to read it. I mean, it'll challenge you a ton because so often we just think about our faith as being something where I share individually with people about Christ. And, and again, it is that. And it's also about you being saved and having your eternal security secured and all of that. But as far as I know, no one in here is dead. Anybody dead? Okay. Everybody's breathing. Praise God. Um, but if you're still alive, that means that God has something to do through you to make this world better. That there are people in this world that God has designed, set up, even planned for you to do something, to reach them, to love them, to help them. And that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. And Janice is doing such a great job of that down in El Salvador. And, uh, and I've, had to, I've had the opportunity to see that up close and personal. And so it's just been a real blessing. Um, but I did want uh, Janice to talk a little bit about um, just some of the things that are happening in El Salvador. Just kind of describe for people here uh, your ministry. You know, uh, she leads a ministry called Abigail Association, and they're doing a variety of things in El Salvador to help people. And so just maybe describe the scope of your ministry and that kind of thing so people can kind of get an idea. Okay, okay so um, we are so blessed to be able to touch lives in so many different ways. So we have uh, two fully functioning clinics. We have six children's feeding programs. We have programs for senior citizens. We have a hope center where children come that's in a gang area. So to get them off the streets, they come to this hope center during the day. Uh, we do all kinds of things that it's not even on a regular daily basis, you know, helping people with funerals, with foods, with whatever. We have a pastor's association that I'm ahead of. We have about 35 pastors that you guys came to. And so we have that. So it's really a, a, a ministry that I think I'm a little ADHD, and, and God just let us to have a lot of different things to do. Um, and so that's kind of cool. But El Salvador, just to give you an overview of El Salvador, I'm sure the majority of you guys have heard of MS-13 and MS-18. Those are two gangs that are very prominent in El Salvador, and so they fight each other. And so the Lord has blessed us. We have one clinic right now in an MS-13 area that we've had that clinic for probably seven or eight years and we're well protected by them. You know, God has given us favor with those guys. And we have another clinic that's on the line between 13 and 18. We've never had any issues whatsoever. They and those spent, gangs, they don't get along. They, do they hate each other. They do not get along. I yeah. mean, if you're an 18 member and you go into a 13, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get killed. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very divisive. And there is no camaraderie between those two at all. And so... Um, that's why when you're saying you're on the line, you really got to watch <laughs> and, and they know the lines. Trust me, they know the lines. So, um, yeah. it's an interesting company. It's an interesting country, uh, and the dynamics that play out in that, but the yeah. favor that God has given us with those gangs has been incredible. And, um, I, I talk about those a lot because they influence every part of El Salvador's life. 
Yeah. Every person in El Salvador, in one way or the other, has been affected by a gang member. Yeah. So we have to reach them. Right. We have to reach them. Yeah, so, so part of that, I mean, when I was there in August, uh, if you don't know this, your church supported us putting on a pastor's conference down in El Salvador, and we had about 50 pastors come, some with their wives and different people like that. Uh, it was awesome. It was so much fun to be able to invest in these pastors, and I have a heart to be able to do that because I feel like if I can take what I know and invest in some of these pastors, uh, what can happen is that you can see exponential impact in their local congregations. So, I mean, I can help one person, but if I help 50 pastors who then pastor churches of 10 to 20 to 30 people, you see how that could be, you know, how you can move the numbers there. And so that was just my heart, and I want to continue to do that. But while I was there, I had a chance to interact with Janice and really meet her for the first time and, and, and just kind of engage. And I was so impressed with this gal, I'm telling you. She has such an amazing vision uh, for this country. Uh, and and I was I was kind of sharing that I think there's a difference between vision and dreams. Vision has legs, and she definitely has some legs on her vision. And it's just really fun to hear her talk about it. But while I was there, one of the things that she began to talk about was this possibility of a medical clinic that would be is that the one on the line? No, this would be in 18. This would be in right. uh, in 18. And so uh, maybe share a little bit about that because I was so captured by this opportunity and I wanted to be able to bring it to you. So why don't you share about that? Well, I just want to briefly, briefly tell you why I have such a heart for these gang members. And so about 10 years ago, I saw a video on YouTube about a gang leader. He was MS-18. He was in jail and he was being interviewed. And so this interviewee asked him, how old was he when he joined the gang? And he was five years old when he joined the gang. Wow. She asked him, how old was he when he committed his first murder? He was seven. And so she asked him a lot of questions about his family. I mean, this guy was all tattooed up and everything, just like, you know, you see about, you've seen on TV. Um, and uh, he was 22 at the time. He had no family that he could remember. He didn't know his dad. He didn't know any grandparents, brothers, and sisters. Mm. He had a mom, but she was living here in the States. Okay. And so she asked him, do, do you ever communicate with your mom? And he said, I talk to her every couple of years. She knows I'm in jail. And he committed, they figured out, more than 40 murders that wow. this young man had committed. And so she asked him a question then that just impacted me. She said to him, have you ever tried to leave the, the, the gangs? Did you ever try and get out? And he said, I used to beg my mom to come and get me, and she wouldn't. So mm. the gang is now my family. That impacted me so much because can you imagine a five-year-old yeah. <laughs> who has no one to take care of him and to someone to come up him and say, here's a toy or here's a plate of food, and we'll take care of you, and he's captured. Yeah, they got him. Right. And so at that time, I started praying for us to interact face-to-face -face with the male gang members because you can save the drug addict, but until you save the dealer, the problem doesn't stop. Yeah, it's good. So we need the male gang members. We need them mm -hmm. to be able to change El Salvador. Wow. So for, we have been working with 13. Uh, they're a little harder. <laughs> 13's, 13's the roughest of the two, but we had never done anything in 18, and so Four years ago, we had an open door to go into this huge territory of 18. And so we started a children's feeding program. 
You can always get the hearts if you, if you go for the kid. We love the kids anyway, but I'm saying that's how you get an open door. So in our children's feeding program, the kids of the gang members come to that. Wow. And your church has been on that property. They've painted on that property. They've ministered on that property. And so they can testify that some of the moms are even coming in with their kids. And so that's awesome. So that long story short, we kept getting inroads with the men, inroads more. So now every 15 days, we have a Bible study with 30 of the male leaders. Wow. They are, they are faithfully coming every 15 days to this Bible study. I love it. And so because of that, and if you can imagine if there's 30 leaders, how big is the territory? <laughs> Yeah. And these guys are like in their 20s. When I went to meet them, I gave them a Bible and a book and a T-shirt, and they were the kindest men. I mean, they're incredibly kind. But all they need is somebody to care for them and to mm. share Jesus with them. That's the whole point. Yeah. And so because of this territory, the next thing that we want to do is there's a huge need for medicine mm. in that area. Mm. And you may think, well, why don't you go in and build a church? That's great, but they don't know anything about church. They're not going to come to church. But if you go in and you meet that need, if you go in and you give them a medicine or you can give them a, a plate of food or something like that, then you're going to be able to introduce them to Jesus. Yeah. And so we went and we had last July, we had a, a, a huge medical outreach out there. Actually, Hand of Hope came and we did a medical outreach in the middle of this MS-18 territory on a Saturday and a Sunday. Let me pause you for a second. Yes. If you don't know what Hand of Hope is, Hand of Hope is, is so Joyce Meyer Ministry, her... Uh, really her international arm of doing all kinds of amazing work all over the world is called Hand of Hope. And so that's what that is. So just so you're aware what that is. And so uh, Janice partners with them as well. And so go ahead. Yeah. So we're, we're blessed to have them come on a weekend, which was really a, 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 an exciting thing. So on Saturday, we saw over 660 some odd patients. And Sunday, we saw 1,114 patients. Wow. I mean, and that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. So I've got, I mean... That's the, that's the door that the Lord has given us to work in this area. And so as a result of that, now we're hearing testimonies coming back of what happened in that area. I'm just going to share one because it just blows my mind, the testimonies that are happening. So there's this young lady, this mother, who went to the outreach on Saturday. Mm. She received the Lord in the ministry area because there's always a ministry area in any of your medical outreaches, okay? And so you have to do that because just to give them the medicine and have them walk out, well, that's great, but they haven't had a chance to receive the Lord. The yeah. purpose is to, for them to receive the Lord. That's good. And so this young lady, this she received uh, the Lord, and she received a copy of The Battlefield of the Mind, mm. okay? She went home, and she started reading this book, and she realized that she had authority, and those are her words. She said, I realized that I had authority. And so her son was in the process of joining the gangs. And so it's a three-step process to get to the gangs. You don't just sign up, okay? They ask you to do certain things. So the first step is that you have to serve as an antenna for them. So when someone goes in and out of the territory, they're, they're walkie-talking, who's coming in, what car they're driving, should they be there, all that kind of stuff. So you're like their lookout. That's process number one. Process number two, the step number two in the process is that you have to go and collect extortion money. So they want to see if you're honest. So they're going to send you to so-and-so, and you're supposed to pay 50 bucks this month. You make sure that you come back with 50 bucks. So that's step two. So this young man had passed both of those steps. The third step is that they're going to put you in a, in a dark alley or some vacant place with four guys, four gang guys, and they're going to beat you for one minute. You, can, you cannot defend yourself. Once you have passed that, then you can go into the gang. So her son has gone through step one and two. He's scheduled to have his beating on the weekend, okay? But she is now praying and taking authority over her son, and her son hears her praying. And so she's like, 
claiming him for the kingdom. And he's wow. like, Mom, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, she's I'm praying over you. I'm praying over you. So by Thursday, he has received the Lord. <laughs> okay? I mean, this is absolutely phenomenal. And so then on Friday, the wow. gang guys come. And so Carlos is the young man's name. And so she says, you're not taking my son. He belongs to Jesus. So good. Okay, but the, but the guy has, so then the next, yeah. so, they, so they leave. They come back on Saturday, and then Carlos stands up and says, I am not going with you. I belong to Jesus. And they have left, and to this day, the gang members have not touched Carlos. Uh, come on. I mean, that's God. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely God. Yeah. That is so amazing. Yeah. So, so obviously, there's a ton of opportunity here. I mean, the work that she's doing. And, and so part of that is, is, is kind of creating... Um, a physical place that really becomes a, a representation of Jesus, uh, a, a place that we can plant the flag of Jesus in the middle of this very dark and difficult place. And so, Janice, would you share a little bit about that opportunity just so people kind of know? I will, but I, I want to just say one more thing yeah, because sure. sometimes people say, well, you know, you can, you can be religious and get out of the gangs. Well, the only real way to get out of the gangs is to die. The average male gang member is 32. That's his lifespan in El Salvador. So now, but now the gangs are allowing people to get out for religious reasons. Now, it doesn't mean Catholic, because in El Salvador, Catholicism is very different than the Catholicism here in the States. They consider Christians are not going to, he to heaven. And I've had Catholics say to me that I am going to hell because I'm a Christian. So it's a different type of Catholicism. But the gangs are respecting the name of Jesus. And so a gang member can leave the gang if he becomes a Christian. Now, they have, they have made rules because gangs have rules and they follow them. But they have said, you can leave, but we're going to follow you for up to five years to see if your conversion is real. Wow. And so this is, this is a fact. So a young man and his wife left the gang. They were MS-18, left the gang, and he came to our house to do some upholstery. And so I got to talk to him face-to-face, -face and, and I asked him this question. And he said, it is true. My wife and I are walking to church. We have our Bible, and there are two guys behind us. And so I'm excited about this because it's going to backfire on the gangs. Yeah. They're going to see this, these people walking in peace, serving the Lord, and they're going to want what they have. That's okay. so good. Amen. So it has to be Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way, and it is the only way. Yeah. He is the only way. Yeah, and so the only way they're getting out yeah. is either they die right. or they give their life to Christ. Right. Can you see that, guys? Let yeah. I me mean, just take a moment and think about that for a second. The possibility. I mean, just yeah. it, it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So. so some of our guys in our in our Bible study are, are 30 guys. They're now saying that wait, they went out. Yeah. They, they, they want a different life. They want a different life for their kids. And wow. so there's an opportunity right now that the mayor in Soyapango wants to donate land to someone who will do something good for the community. Well, we're thinking we can do something good. Yeah, for we the can community. do that. We can do that. That's and good. so and so. Um, uh, the idea is to put in a medical clinic because the medical clinic is not just about medicines. All of the doctors have to be able to lead someone to the Lord. Mm. If you're not about Jesus, you're not on the team is what I tell them. And so they have to be able to do that. In our two clinics that we operate now, up until this point, we've led over uh, more than a thousand souls to the Lord this year alone. Wow. Just in the medical clinic. So Come that's on. the important of the medical so clinic. So good. Yeah. It's amazing. amazing. <laughs> so we would like to build a medical clinic and then also on that same property, I would love to build a vocational center. Yeah. So these guys and wives, the, the women also that are getting out of these gangs, they've had no education, maybe up to sixth grade. 
And so they, what do they know how to do? They know how to steal, they know how to extort, they know, you know, those kind of things. So we need to train them to be mechanics. Mm. We need to train them to run bakeries. We need to teach the women to sew and to sell clothing and those kind of things. So that would be the idea of the vocational center. Wow. So not only lead them to Jesus, and, but we can't just lead them to Jesus and dump them, or they'll go back when they have no way to, to change their life. That's amazing. So we need to have a complete plan to be able to help them have a changed life. Yeah, and so what's happening is, is you have systematically... You have uh, a mayor of this area inviting Janice's ministry into that area and asking her to do something for the community, mm-hmm. to build this That's medical awesome. clinic that she has a great vision for. Uh, and I'm listening to her tell me this story, and I'm thinking to myself, we could do this. Like, we could do this. And I just asked her, I said, how much is that? How much would it cost for us to do that? And she says, $100,000. And I think to myself, to build a whole medical clinic? Like in the States, that would be millions of dollars. I mean, it would just be, I mean, out of control. Well, I was down there with uh, another pastor. His name's Pastor Josh. He's he's the pastor at Faith Community out in House Springs. Uh, And we have a great relationship. And him and I were just hanging out in the hotel and talking. and, And we just said, let's just do this. Let's come alongside this. You do half, we do half. And so he was in and I was in and let's, let's, let's just figure it out. So, I mean, I shared with you guys a couple of, months ago, just a little bit about the story, but I don't see why we can't raise $50,000 and then in the next few months start building this medical clinic that then starts to begin to affect the numbers in El Salvador at a very amazing uh, rate, not just health-wise, but also salvations and, and families getting out. And then you think about the possibility. Think about gang members getting free. Think about gang members getting out of a gang. Think about how that begins to change things, you know, and it even goes further than that. Like one of the things I was so excited about, she was talking about the vocational school and, and just how like this vocational school could then begin to train skills and different things like that and how these families could be changed because of it. And, and then, you know, the, in my head, I think, oh, well, wait, there's a problem. They've got tattoos all over their face. Politicians hate them. I mean, the, the, the police hate them. You know, how do you then just enter back into society and, and start to contribute? I mean, it's, it, it's almost an impossibility. And also, and, if, if you're an 18 and you receive the Lord, your, your 18 group know that. But if you walk across the line to 13, they don't know that. Yeah, you're right. And so you have these tattoos yeah. on your face, and it's like, you could be out. They don't care. Yeah. And so I was like, man, could, imagine this. Imagine if we got some medical group to donate those tattoo removals machines. So not only do we get them out, but we begin to take the tattoos off their face so that they can really begin to integrate back into society and do something great for God. I mean, come on, guys. You see how cool this would be? I mean, this could be really cool. All right. So, Janice, is there anything else you want to say at this point? You guys just hang on for the ride because it's going to be great. It is going to be great. It's going to be great. Guys, could you give Janice a hand, please? Thank you. Amen. Amazing. Amazing. Janice, that's special. I've never gotten one of those. So I praise God. I love it. I love it. 
Um, guys, I just want to give you a few details um, about what we're trying to do. And so uh, there is actually a few pictures that might come up on the screen. And this is kind of just telling you, showing you some digital. This is like a 3D rendering, I think, of the property uh, and the clinic that we're wanting to build. Um, and so this kind of gives you a picture of what it looks like. And just the, 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 just think about that. This is right in the middle of that gang-infested environment. And that the hope of Jesus Christ is going to be brought. Uh, and we're not going to just give them salvation, but we're going to give them health. And we're going to give them medical care. And we're going to help them with dentists and dental work and all the stuff that, that just is helpful in life. Uh, there's going to be a place for Bible studies. There's going to be a place for training, different kinds of things. And so uh, just picture yourself driving up in that Jeep right there, excited to help people in Jesus' name. But, you know, I just want you to know that I just feel really strongly about this. I believe this is going to happen. And the question is, is do you want to be a part of it? That's it. What's in your hand? Are you willing to give it to the Lord? You know, are you willing to give it to the Lord? Uh, there's, no, there's no guilt here. I'm not trying to convince you. If this captures your heart, then do something about it. Allow the Lord to use you. Uh, if we had 50 people give $1,000, well, we're there. You see? And you can do the math. You know how that works. And as especially as we enter into the Christmas season, I think this is a great thing for us to think about because we spend lots of money on ourselves, don't we? Matter of fact, the data tells me that Americans spend more than they make most of the time. And so let's not go into debt buying more toys. Let's do something with it. Let's do something that, that actually can make a difference, you know? Because, man, sometimes I walk into my kid's room and I'm like, Dang, they got too many toys. <laughs> How many toys these kids need? Come on. It's just such, see what I'm getting at? Buy your kids toys. You know, bless them. But man, think about this. Think about this. Let this be in the back of your head as we go into this season. I just believe God's going to do something great. And so on Christmas Eve, we'll have three services. At all three of those services, the offerings will go towards this project. Every dollar will go towards those projects. Now, you don't have to wait. So if you're going to be out of town or if you want to start giving now, that's fine. All you have to do is, is go online. You can text it in. I did it this morning. I texted some money just to see if things were working. And all you have to do is sign up for text giving, put the dollar amount, and put legacy behind it. Just put legacy behind it, and it'll go right into the thing. So it's very simple, very easy. You can set that up. And so we'll talk more about that as we go. But, but you can wait till Christmas Eve, or you can start doing it now. Uh, I want to tell you just one quick story. Pastor Josh told me that somebody came to his church the other day and, and slid a check across the table. And, and, and this is one of those moments as a pastor, you, you pray for these moments. I mean, they're just, they don't happen very often. But this man slid a, a check for $500,000 across the table. And Josh begins to cry. He just begins to cry. And the thing is, is that that $500,000 is now being applied to two ministries, $25,000 to some Guatemala projects that they're working on, and $25,000, that check actually has been given to Janice already. So we're, we're already 25%. <laughs> I'm good at math, guys. Just stay with me. I told you about my accountant or my, uh, my insurance guy gave about $1,500. I just shared the story with him. He didn't even come to this church, but he wanted to get involved. So just the money's already coming. God's going to get us there. So I just want to know if you want to be a part of it because I believe God's going to do something great.
It's going to be good. We're going to make a difference in this world, people. We're going to make a difference in El Salvador. And someday, I believe that that country is going to claim that name that the country is named after. The Savior. The Savior. So it's going to be good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this room right now. How you're stirring our hearts around the things of God. The ability to make a difference in this world, God. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for Janice and just for what she brings to the table. God, that you've called her and you have equipped her and that you've given her a vision that has legs. God, thank you. Help us to get behind it. Help us to accelerate it with our giving that we might see not just people saved, but we would see the kingdom of God come in this place. God, we just believe for that. We trust you. We know you can do it. Lord, I want to pray for people in this room this morning who are struggling. Perhaps you're, you're still questioning whether God can use you. And I just want to speak life over you. I just want to say God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Just simply reach out to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I can't do it without you. And maybe you're here and you have something in your hand. And you're wondering what God wants to do with it. And I just pray that God will help you know exactly what to do with it. God, would you do that? Would you give direction, purpose, meaning? And Lord, more than anything, we pray this morning that the amount of money that we need for this project, in faith, Lord, in faith, we believe it's coming. We believe it's already been uh, dispatched. We believe it's already on its way. And that we're going to see this clinic built. And we're going to be able to lift your name high in this section of the world for Jesus. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.